Welcome again to Impact Church. We're so glad you were decided to hang out with us on this rainy Sunday. It's not snowing, so we'll take that, right? At least not snowing. A um, couple other quick things to remind you guys of. Next week, we are doing our family brunch directly after service. Uh, so we really want to encourage you to stick around directly after service next week for our family brunch. Um, it will be a lot of fun. It will be great food, so make sure you do that. Um, out there in the foyer by our next step tables, there's a sign-up if you can sign up for something to bring. We're doing it like potluck style. So um, if you're really good at making stuff, please sign up and bring something that you can make. If you're really good at buying stuff, please sign up and bring that thing you bought. Okay, so make sure you do that as well. Then I think I have another announcement, right, uh, tech team? Yes. Oh, impact groups. Our impact groups, which is our small groups here at Impact, it is, this is the best way for you to get to know people here at Impact is through our impact groups. We have uh, five impact groups that are going to be relaunching at the end of January, the last week of January. So if you have not signed up for one yet, we really encourage you, again, you can go to the next step tables. You can um, go to the, the iPad and you can sign up for an impact group as well. We have five different ones, including a student one, a leadership one, and then a bunch, in, bunch of areas, Marysville, Sykesville, Baltimore. So make sure you sign up for one of those as well. We're in part two of our series, Respect Life. And um, getting ready for today, I was thinking about um, one thing, and I'm going to say this, but you guys need to like be patient with me and give me forgiveness because I know I'm a pastor and all that stuff, but I'm not perfect, okay? So just don't judge me too much with what I'm about to say. But um, you guys have people that just drive you nuts, like just people that just bother you more than anyone else, because I do. I have a lot of them. Here's, I'll give you some examples of some of those people. Well, I'll give you the main one, and I think most of us can be able to agree on this. Unless you're this person, then, oh. But um, if I'm ever, I hate when people, there's, there's a people that do this, and I don't get how they, it's, it's arrogance and it's brave for them to do this, but I hate when people cut in line. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. And I know the tricks. I'm, I'm smart enough to know what the tricks are. Here's some of the tricks. Uh, you'll be in an amusement park, and someone will get, excuse by everybody. Oh, sorry, my friends are up there. My friends are up there. Your friends aren't up there. They're not up there. And first off, you should have waited with your friends if you wanted to be with your friends, right? You can't just get to, I've been here for an hour waiting for, to get on this ride. You were out there eating a funnel cake. You should have been in here with your friends, right? I hate that. And then here's the, here's the big trick, and that people, they'll get you on this. It's called the talking cut. You know what the talking cut is? Then you go up to a friend of yours and say, oh, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, okay, cool. And then all of a sudden you're in line. See, I see those people that do that. And then I hate, I hate when this happens. If I'm at the grocery store and I go to the self-checkout aisle because I'm always going to the self-checkout aisle. Like I'm never, I'll have 10, 20 things. I'm still going to the self-checkout aisle. And sometimes there's like four different stations and there's a line that's forming. So what you normally do, because you don't want to block that middle aisle, is you kind of stay a little further back. And sometimes you're in the aisle and one line forms for all four stations, right? That's the way it works. Everyone gets that, right? So I'm standing in line and this happened to me a couple years ago. Um, I was standing in line and I'm waiting and I'm the next person up. There's four stations. One person leaves, they're finished, and some dude comes up, doesn't wait in the line, and goes right to the station that was mine. So I yelled at him in public. I said, hey, excuse me, hey, buddy, hey, nope, there's a line here, you need to go in the line. And sometimes I'm like, okay, he didn't see the line, maybe it's from the aisle. And he looked at me, and he went, ha ha, what are you going to do about it? And he kept taking his stuff. So I looked around to make sure you all weren't there, and then... I began to yell at him. 
It's like, you don't care about anyone else. You're so, you just think you're the king of the world ever. And I just started, and he kept laughing at me, which made me more angry. There's no better way to come back at someone that just going, ha ha, like, you're, who cares about you? And I'm sitting there ringing myself up like, you don't, I, don't, you know, I don't care about anybody else. Huh? You just do whatever you want. I was so mad. Sometimes there are people in this world that just know how to get us. And there's some people in this world that are just difficult to love, right? There are people that are just difficult for us to love. All of us have those people that we have trouble loving at times. Maybe for you, it's a family member. You have a family member that's just really hard to love. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's an aunt or uncle or a cousin. And you just have trouble loving them. Because here's what's weird about family. Family has a very unique way of hurting you the most. Like, they know what really gets at you, and they know what they can poke, and they can really get at you. So family, for a lot of us, we have people that we just try to avoid at all costs. There are family members, but man, it's hard to love them, so I avoid them at all costs. Maybe for you, it's an ex-friend of yours, somebody that you used to hang out with all the time, and maybe you had a falling out. You did something, or they did something, and you guys got mad at each other, and now when you see them, it's hard to love them. Or maybe that didn't happen. Maybe you just, like, lost touch. Like, you just... We don't know what happened, but eventually you just stopped hanging out. And now when you do see them, just you guys are so different. You're in different paths in life, and it's hard to love them. We all have those kind of friends. Maybe for you, it's a coworker. There's someone at your work. You don't choose your coworkers, right? But you have to figure out how to work with these people. And there's some people that just you do not. It's hard for you to love because, man, they are tough. My, um, la- my first job before... My job before I was a pastor, I worked at an organization called CSAC, which worked with uh, individuals with autism. I did like the billing and that kind of stuff. Um, And we would have meetings every week. Once a week, we would have meetings, staff meetings, that would start at 2 o'clock. I'm an on-time guy. If a meeting starts at 2 o'clock, I'm there no later than 2. I try to get there around 1.50 to try to get there a little early. So I'd go to these meetings. I'm there at 2, 2.15. No one showed up for the meeting yet. 2.17, 2.17, the first couple of people start walking in. Oh, hey, how's it going, Eric? And then 2.30, everyone's in and we're starting our meeting. And half hour after, I was supposed to start. And it drove me nuts. I would get so mad. Because what it's saying is, I don't respect your time. I don't care about your time. I'm going to show up whenever I want to show up. I'm a late person, sorry. I don't care about your time. No, don't be, it's easy not to be a late person. Don't be late. Just show up on time, okay? It's not that hard. This is coming from a guy who likes to be on time, though. I get it. So it's, I would sit there like every week, every week they would show, start at 2.30. And so I would start saying, I'm leaving at 3 no matter what. I was here at 3. I was here on time. I, it drove me nuts. And it was hard for me to love those people because I felt like they didn't care about my time. So it was hard for me to love them. Maybe you have some coworkers or some people at school that you have trouble loving. All of us have those people that are difficult for us to love. So what do most of us do with these people? You know what most of us do? We stop loving them because it's too difficult. So like, well, it's hard to, hard to love them, so I'm just going to not love them. And then that'll, that'll be the solution for that. But if you're here and you would say that you would, you're a follower of Jesus, is that what Jesus really wants us to do for those people, just to get rid of them because they're too hard to love? Or if you're here and you would say, I'm not a follower of Jesus, I'm just here kind of checking it out. What do you think is the best thing for you to do with those people, just to avoid them, to get rid of them? Isn't there, is there a better solution when it comes to people that are difficult to love? Because all of us have it. All of us have people that we have trouble loving. So what do we do with people that are difficult for us to love? How do we handle them? Jesus had a lot of difficult people in his life. He had a lot of people that were, he had trouble loving. He had to figure out how to love them. And the way he treats those people and the way he responds to those people is crucial for us, our followers of him, to understand how we love difficult people. So we're going to be talking from John chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to John chapter 13 or your Bible apps. 
will be on the screen as well. Let me give you some background on John chapter 13. Here we see the Last Supper. He, John, uh, Jesus and his disciples are at the Last Supper. Uh, most of us know about the Last Supper, whether you're a church person or not, you know the Last Supper. Um, you've seen the painting, you've, you've heard about it um, in Easter, all that stuff. He's at the Last Supper, and at the beginning of John 13, Jesus decides to wash his disciples' feet. It wasn't weird for someone to wash another person's feet. It was just weird for the Son of God to get on his hands and knees and wash all of his friends' feet. That was a weird thing to do um, because they were, they were saying, why, why are you washing our feet? We should be washing your feet. But he showed servant leadership all the time. He showed a radical love. So he starts with that, and then he goes on to explain to people, hey, that thing I said is coming up, my death, it's coming. And in fact, um, one of you are going to betray me. And Judas eventually leaves. So now they're all there. And I can just, one thing we don't think about a lot is what Jesus was going through in this situation. Because later on, when he's at the garden, he's praying before he goes and, and goes to the cross. They say he's sweating blood. That's how much anxiety he had about what he had to do. His heart had to have been broken at this point. Because he knows not only do I have to do something that I don't want to do, because he didn't want to do it. But my friend Judas, who I just washed his feet, just left me. And all the friends that are here, they're all going to be gone. When I die, they're all, no one's going to be found. He has to have a heavy heart at this point. And here's what he says, with a heavy heart, after Judas just leaves, he just washed his disciples' feet. Here's what he says, starting in verse 33. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. He's saying, listen, the time is coming. It's here. We're getting ready for the next step, the thing I've been talking about. Then in verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He says, the way that I loved you is the way you need to love everybody else. He's talking to the disciples. You know what he did for them? You know how much he did for them? He forgave them when they didn't deserve forgiveness. He gave them a higher purpose in life. When they were just ordinary fishermen or ordinary people with ordinary jobs, he gave them a higher purpose in life. The Bible says he prayed for them constantly, constantly interceding between him, himself and God on their behalf. And he gave them everything he had. Jesus loved them in an amazing way. Jesus says, just the way that I've loved you, you also need to love everybody else. The way that I love you, the way I love Judas who's about to betray me, the way that I love you even when you hurt me, that is how you need to love everybody else. This is a love that they had never seen before. They didn't understand it because they were used to the old covenant. If you ever read the Old Testament, you'll see a bunch of laws. That's the old covenant, which is a designed, these laws and this old covenant was designed for a specific group of people at a specific time. It was designed for the Israelites that lived in that time. And that old covenant, basically what they were used to, these disciples, they were used to constantly obeying certain laws so they can be in right standing with God. They were used to that. If you read the Old Testament, you read Leviticus, you see all these rules, that was so that they could be in right standing with God constantly. They were used to their nation being a separate nation, the Israelites being a separate nation, that we don't interact with everybody else because God, we are God's chosen people. They were used to that kind of love. Jesus comes and says, that old covenant is done. It's finished. I'm bringing you a new covenant. I'm bringing you a new way to live. I'm bringing you a new way. Where you were used to the vertical love of how do I love God, how I show God love, now we're doing horizontal love. That you're going to show how you love God by how you love everybody else. He changed everything. Jesus came and he brought a new covenant and a completely new way of living. And then in verse 35, he says this, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, the way you love each other 
That's how they're going to know that you follow me. But the disciples end up going to do a lot of things. The disciples, they, they preach the, the message of Jesus constantly after this and before this. They, did, they perform miracles and they heal people. These disciples, they, almost all of them eventually die for their faith. They all become martyred for their faith. But Jesus says, that's not how you're going to prove that you follow me. The way you're going to prove that you follow me is how you love people. That's how you're going to prove it. That is how you're going to do it, by the way you love each other. Here's something important that you need to know, especially if you consider Impact Church your home church, you're an owner in Impact. Um, the way I am up here on stage is not a good representation of my faith. It's not. In fact, any pastor that has a microphone at any point, it's not a good representation of how close they are to God. It's not. What's a better representation of my faith is my home life. That's a lot better of a representation. Because up here, I prepared all week for this sermon. Like, I can be on my best behavior for 30 minutes. But the way I love my family, the way I love the people around me, that's a better indicator of my faith. In fact, Paul says it this way. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and, and of angels, but do not love, I am a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. You catch all that? If you can prophesy, if you can just have the gift of prophecy, if you can, you know all mysteries, you, have, you know all the Bible, all knowledge, and if you have such a strong faith that mountains will move if you believe it, but you don't love anybody, you're nothing, according to Paul. But we get this confused, right? We often think that the sign of a follower of Jesus is our spiritual practice. Or we think the sign of a follower of Jesus is our finished Bible reading plans. Or what our church attendance. Or what movies and music that we watch. Or our political party. Or what words we do and don't use. And none of that's bad. But if you have all that and you don't have love, Jesus says it's worthless. It doesn't matter. If you have all that without love, it does not matter. Now some of you or hearing this, and you're saying, well then, I'm good then. If it's about love, I, I love my spouse, I love my kids, I love my parents, I love my family, I'm good. I, I love people. I, I love my friends. And if that's what it takes to get to heaven, then I'm on the heaven train, choo-choo. I'm sure you guys don't say that, but something like that, right? You know what? If that's what it's about, then, then I'm good. I'm good to go. But we need to understand is Jesus' command to love each other is an all-encompassing command. We are called to love not just the people that are easy to love, because everyone does that. There's nothing special about loving the people that are easy to love. All of us love the people that are easy to love. But Jesus says, no, you're going to show your follower of Jesus by how you love the people that aren't easy to love. That's how you're going to show your faith, by how you handle the people that are harder to love. He elevated and gave us a higher command of love. We are called to love everyone, even the people that are difficult to love especially the people that are difficult to love. See, who you are, who you are is demonstrated in how you love difficult people. Who you are is demonstrated in how you love difficult people. You can have all these other things, but if you don't love difficult people, then you're demonstrating something. Who you are is demonstrated in how you love difficult people. In fact, here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. To, he said it best. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love 
you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing that more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? Even Jesus said, we're called, especially if you're here and you would say you're a follower of Jesus, you are called to love the people that are really, really, really hard to love. That's what you're called to do. You want a report card on your faith? It's not about your Bible reading plans, not about your church attendance. Look, think of the person that you have trouble loving. How do you love them? That's the report card. It's not wealth, and that's the report card. There it is right there. Bob Goff actually says it best. It says, love difficult people because you're one of them. Love difficult people. But I know you're saying, but Eric, I, I haven't said a cuss word in like 20 years. But Eric, I've never seen an R-rated movie. But Eric, I read my Bible. I tithe consistently. I attend church every single week. That's great. How do you love people? Because if you do all that without love, Jesus would say it's worthless. It's meaningless. All these Christian practices are great, but it doesn't demonstrate your faith. According to Jesus, what demonstrates your faith is how you love difficult people. Who you are is demonstrated in how you love difficult people. I think this message is crucial for this time period in life, for our culture currently. Um, I'm 33 years old, so um, I don't have a lot of experience with this, but I've never seen a time, and you guys, some of you guys older people can let me know, but I've never felt a time that seems so polarizing and separate and just like we're on completely different sides of the spectrum in a lot of different areas. You know what I'm saying? Like it feels like we're more divided now than ever. It's not a political statement. It just seems like facts to me that we are so divided now. So this is an important, important thing for us to talk about. And we should be the model of how to love difficult people. We should be the model. So what I want to do, and for the next like 10 minutes, I want to give four red flags Four red flags that if you start to feel this in your life, start to feel this in your heart, then you are falling into the trap of not loving difficult people. Now, I'm going to warn you, some of these might hurt, okay? And I'm going to warn you, most likely what you're going to start thinking when I start saying some of these things is, ah, oh, I wish this person was here. They're not. You're here, okay? So think about this for yourself. Whenever we start to, def that, what that's called is deflection. We're deflecting it so we don't feel it ourselves. Here's some four red flags that if we start to feel this into our own life, then we're not loving difficult people. Number one is this, celebrating people's failures. When we find ourselves at a point where we are celebrating someone else messing up, someone else falling down, someone else failing, we are celebrating people's failures. We're not loving difficult people because they're a difficult person. That's why you want them to fail. But when we start to celebrate that, we are not loving them. This, know what this comes from? This comes from our own jealousy. That's what it is. It's our own insecurity. It's something inside of us that we are insecure about, and we feel better about ourselves when somebody else that we're jealous of falls down. We go, okay, good. I was right about this. Okay, good. He's not. It's, it's always wrong to do that. There is no behavior in me, because I feel this a lot, there is no behavior in me that is worse than this. I hate when I feel this, and I do, and all of us feel this at times. I'm a pastor, and I, I connect with a lot of different pastors. I'm, I'm, I've connected with pastors on our own district, our own denomination. I've connected with pastors outside of that, other church planners. Um, and I have ran into pastors that, um, now forgive me for what I'm going to say, okay, but I've ran into pastors that um, I, I'm not as big a fan of, let's just say that. Like, and, I, and most of it's because of me. It's an insecurity in me. And I've ran into pastors that do things differently than than then we do it, which is nothing wrong with that, but they make me feel like that I'm sinning by doing it the way we're doing it, and um, I kind of hate that, but that's an insecurity thing on me. It's very easy for me to start to hope, like, well, hopefully they didn't have a lot of people come to church this week. Like, it happens to me too. 
It happens to all of us. We start to celebrate people's failures. But anytime you find yourself celebrating when someone else is in pain, you need to stop what you're doing and ask for forgiveness immediately. You need to ask for forgiveness. It's a red flag. If we don't try to get rid of that and release it to God, that envy is going to rot us from the inside out. Major red flag, celebrating people's failures, number one. Number two, generalizing people you disagree with. Generalizing a group of people that you disagree with. Let me give you some examples. All liberals are wackos. All conservatives are prudes. All millennials are entitled. All old people are judgmental. Anytime we take an entire group of people and we generalize them and say, here's their characteristic, it's, what, it's, what it's doing is we're saying, here's the characteristic that I don't like so I can dismiss the whole group and get rid of all of them. Anytime we do that, we're not loving difficult people because it's normally a group of people that we don't like, right? So we just characterize them all and push them all aside. But if we say, you know what, this group has specific people with, with specific experiences, stories, perceptions in life, then you start to understand them more. That's what we're called to do. We're not called to just put a whole group together and just say, you know what, they're all this way, so here we go, I'm gonna do that. Anyways, generalizations are lazy. It's lazy. It's lazy to do that. They are a quick way to give you a reason to not like someone. You need to avoid it. All of us do this, including me. I do this too. All of us do this, but, we, but it's not loving. And if we want to love difficult people, we have to avoid this. And sometimes I'll hear things like this, and I've said this before if you've been here, but um, I will hear things like, I just don't understand how somebody could believe this. I don't understand how somebody could be this. I, don't, I just don't understand how somebody could do that. You know where you should stop? I don't understand. Because whatever that person believes, it makes 100% complete sense to them or they wouldn't believe it. If you understood their perception, their experiences, their tradition, how they grew up, maybe you would start to change your opinion. But it makes sense to them. So what we should do as followers of Jesus, instead of saying, I just don't understand, somebody can do that and push them all off, is say, you know what, I'm going to get to understand why they believe that. doesn't mean you have to agree with them. I'm not saying to agree with everybody. But I'm saying find somebody that you don't agree with and say, hey, tell me why you, you believe this. Because you can say, I, I personally don't, I want to know why. And you don't say that so you can get a gotcha. That's what a lot of us do, right? Okay, well, here's the facts. No, you say it so you can understand them. See, and when you do that, you show them that you respect them and that you love them. That's what you do. And you don't have to agree with them. In fact, it will most likely give you an opportunity to have an actual conversation with them that's not going to end in a big fight, right? So avoid generalizations. Generalizations make not loving people you disagree with a lot easier. Avoid them. Try to get rid of them. Number two, generalizing people you disagree with. Number three, you ready? Constant fighting online. Yeah, we're going there today, guys. Constant fighting online. This week, I was on YouTube, and I saw a commercial for a razor company named Gillette. And I watched the commercial. At the end of the commercial... My only thought was, Harry's Razors is better. That's the only thing I thought. Like, whatever. It's a, it's a razor commercial. Who, gives it, who cares about it? Um, and then I didn't even realize it was a thing until I went on Facebook. And then all of a sudden I saw these people, like, fighting over a razor commercial. A company that's trying to sell you razors. Fighting. Breaking friendships. Hurting people. Calling to their names. Over a razor commercial. Okay, you guys with me? See, here's a couple of things about social media you need to understand. No one's opinion has ever been changed through your social media post. 
Never. I've never met someone that said, you know what, I used to be a Republican, but now I'm a Democrat because I saw that Facebook post. No. What it does is the people that agree with you say, look, see, I agree with that. But the people that don't agree with you go, hey, you shouldn't post that. That's normally what happens. Number one, no one ever, opinions ever change. Number two, how immature are we that we allow social media, debates on social media to ruin our friendships and to ruin our families? How immature is that, really? Seriously. See, the problem with social media is, um, for a lot of us, it came at a time where we weren't prepared for it, uh, that we weren't really, didn't really know how to use it. So now a lot of us use it immaturely and will allow it to hurt our, our relationships. Listen, I'm not against posting things. I'm not against it. I'm not against sharing different articles. I'm not against it. But if you're sharing different articles to make people mad, I'm against it. I'm not against it when you're doing it for the sake of conversation to have a polite debate. The problem is, I rarely see that happen. Most time it's a gotcha. Most time it's see, should do this. If it's for a polite debate, I'm not against it. But here's what you need to know. If you find yourself constantly fighting with other people online over your political posts, over your social media, over social or religious issues, whatever it is, if you find yourself doing that, then you are not loving difficult people. Let's say Jesus was here. Let's say Jesus, Jesus had a Facebook, and I know this is kind of a Jesus juke, and I, I don't always love Jesus jukes, but listen, just keep up with me. If if Jesus was here on Facebook, do you think he would have gotten in a fight this week with his family members over a razor commercial. There's no way he would have. There's no way he would. See, some of you, if you can't stop fighting with people on social media, I have the solution. You ready? Quit social media. You don't even need it. Quit it. You cannot, if you cannot handle it properly, you shouldn't use it. I mean, you've taken this awesome thing, this awesome gift that we have, social media, and you've given it permission to show a terrible representation of the God that you follow. That's what you've done. If that's what you've done, quit it. Get rid of it. For all of our sakes, get rid of it. If you are having trouble loving difficult people online, then stop being online. Number three, a red flag when you're constantly fighting with people online, constant fighting online. The number four, the last one, Righteous anger outweighs a broken heart. Righteous anger outweighs a broken heart. Anger is not a bad thing. Especially righteous anger is not a bad thing. It's actually a God-given thing. If you read uh, the Bible and you read uh, Jesus, he went into the temple one day and he saw that they were selling, which was the church at the time, and they were selling all these things on the temple. And they, what they were doing is they were using their power to abuse it and steal from people is basically what they were doing. And Jesus got so angry that he started flipping the tables. Some of you guys know that story, right? We started flipping the tables. He didn't sin by doing that. That was a God-given anger. There's nothing wrong with being angry. There's times where you will be angry and it's God-given. It's a righteous anger. However, if you have a righteous anger over someone else's sin, but your heart doesn't break for that person's sin, you aren't loving them. You're judging them. Let me say it again. If you have a righteous anger over someone's sin, but your heart doesn't break for that person's sin, you're not loving them. You're judging them. See, sin hurts people. We believe that sin is our heavenly father wanting to protect us. That when we do something that hurts us or hurts someone else, that's considered sin. It's not a bunch of rules that we just need to check off, but that's what it is. The same way I give my kids rules because I want to protect them, God gives us rules as well for the same reason. Sin always hurts us. Every sin comes with a gotcha. comes with a gotcha. And we don't want people to be got by their sin. So whenever someone sins, we know that it's really hurting them. 
That's what we believe. If you believe it's a sin, then it's hurting them. So whenever someone sins and it hurts them, if your response is anger at the sin without your heart being broken at the state of that person, you have work to do. You have work to do. In fact, you would be called self-righteous. You know who was self-righteous in the Bible? That were, those are the Pharisees. You know what Jesus called the Pharisees? A brood of vipers. He said, you're a bunch of snakes. That's what he says. Galatians 6.1 says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. 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 Uh, in his book, Irresistible, Andy Stanley says it this way. I love this quote. The proper response to sin is to leave your gift at the altar and seek to repair the broken relationship. The proper response to sin is the father in the parable of the prodigal son. Eyes on the road, praying for his sinning son's return. From God's vantage point, sinners are like lost things. If your phone is lost, you don't get angry at your phone. If you do, you have work to do. We don't get angry with things we lose. We get busy looking for them. If sin makes you mad but doesn't break your heart, you have work to do. Now, this is hard because the people that are the most self-righteous are rarely self-aware. So the people that might need to hear this right now are probably not hearing it. They're thinking it's somebody else. If you're not sure if that's you, ask your spouse. They'll let you know. Ask your kids. Ask your parents. They'll let you know. But when we are in that situation where we are being self-righteous, our first response to sin is anger, and it's not accompanied by compassion, we have work to do. It's a red flag that we aren't loving difficult people. So as I close, I understand that what we talked about today is not like a one-time message. Like, okay, good, I got it. I can now love the people that I have a lot of trouble loving. It's a lot harder than that. I get it. And you're going to spend the rest of your life trying to do this, trying to love difficult people and failing more than you're succeeding. That's okay. We're not perfect. We're not, we don't have to be perfect. Perfection is not a requirement. Perfection was a requirement. We'd all be in trouble, especially me. You don't have to be perfect. However, because this is such a big deal, and because it represents who we are, and Jesus says who you are is demonstrated by the way you love difficult people, we have to do something about it. We can't just ignore it. We can't just say, well, this is way too hard. I'm not going to worry about this. We have to do something about it. And here's a question that I try to ask myself a lot. And if you ask yourself this question, you really ask yourself this question, it will really help you when you come to those situations. Here's the question. What does love look like in this situation? When you get into that situation or that environment where you are having trouble loving someone, ask yourself this question. What does love look like in this situation? When that family member shows up that you have trouble loving, what would love look like? What would love do with that family member? What would love do? If, if you are in your marriage relationship and you are in a big marriage like this and you're in the down and you're having trouble loving each other, you would ask, ask yourself that question, what does love look like here? What would love do in this situation? If you're at work or at school and you're with those people that you have trouble loving, ask yourself, what does love look like here? How would love respond to this? When you're online debating people about a razor commercial, ask yourself, what does love look like here? How does love look like here? What does love look like? You know what it looks like? Whenever you start to ask this question, the Spirit is going to nudge you. It's going to push you. You'll get your answer. You're not going to like the answer sometimes, but you'll get your answer. Love looks like Jesus. 
It will always nudge us. The fruits of the Spirit, it will nudge us towards that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love looks like Jesus because God is love. How do you respond to difficult people? You love them. You may not like them, but you love them because God loves them. And God loves you when you're a difficult person to love. I mean, who are we anyways to celebrate the love that God has for us while withholding the love of the person next to us, the same person that God loves just as much as he loves you? Who are we to do that? That's the epitome of hypocrisy right there. Who you are is demonstrated in how you love difficult people. When someone is difficult for you to handle, that's an opportunity for you. That's an opportunity for you. Not to preach the message, not to tell them about their morals, but to show them love and to show them Jesus by the way you love them. It's an opportunity. What does love look like in this situation? We need to ask ourselves that question when we enter in those situations. Can we pray? Dear God, thank you for loving us. For loving us even when we don't deserve it. Even when we're difficult to love. And thank you for being the God that loves us so much you sent your son for us. And I pray for the people here that you help them to love, not just people that are easy to love, but to find ways to love people that are difficult to love, people we disagree with, people are not like us, people that have hurt us. That's what you've called us to do. God, help us to remember that who we are is demonstrated by how we love difficult people. Thank you for loving us. Help us to find ways to ask that question, what does love look like here? To get real and to get practical but how we can start to change, move towards love and let you nudge us to look more like you. I pray for the people here this week. You just give them those opportunities to love a difficult person, to ask, what does love look like in this situation? Thank you for your love. In your son's name.